Alrighty, my name is Lyle, and just uh, wanted to say welcome, one of the pastors here, and just like Elliot said earlier, just encourage you, if you're first time, we're so glad you're here. Uh, if you don't mind taking some time to fill out a Connect card, which is in the seat back in front of you, uh, just a way for you to make your presence known. You can drop that off at the little welcome table at the end uh, of our service. So if you got a Bible, I encourage you to go to Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably a, a red one in the seat back in front of you. The passage scripture is in your handout as well as the bulletin. And so as you are headed to that passage of scripture, I'm gonna make you aware of a couple things. The first one, if some of you, some of you may remember back in the fall, we were kind of working through Acts chapter six and just talked a little bit about uh, the deacon body, the deacon ministry of a local church and uh, just felt a sense of conviction that we just haven't done a good job of like empowering and equipping that body to, to work arm in arm or hand in hand with the, uh, the elder body of this church. And so uh, one of the small steps that we're trying to sort of beef up that body of people is to offer a couple classes that we're doing on February 12th and the 19th. And so if you're interested in being a deacon or if you're a current deacon, we really wanna encourage you to go to those two classes that are happening right after the service. So on February 12th and 19th, I think all the information is on the back of your bulletin. Uh, we'll meet in the connect room. We'll have some lunch together. Uh, and then Josh and I are kind of team teaching that, those sessions. So that's for those that are current deacons or anyone that's interested in being a deacon. It's just a kind of a small step that we're making toward um, being obedient, to be real honest with you, because I just really want to see our deacon body and our elder body kind of working more hand in hand. So, uh, so that's on the back of your bulletin. All right, so there you go. Uh, secondly, uh, Adam and Anna Day, some of you probably remember them. They were with us a little over a year ago, uh, served. And so during kids ministry, they actually led one of our community groups for a while. Uh, they transitioned out of here, went to California where they were from uh, to continue some support raising for uh, a calling on their life to go to the Philippines uh, where they will be training uh, theologically uh, people there in order to go into some unreached people groups that are going on in the Philippines. So they are here with us kind of meeting, spending time with family and friends before they are sent out uh, to the Philippines. And so if you would like to kind of learn more about what they're doing, what they're uh, what their plans are, how you can support them through prayer or maybe even financial gift. They're doing a quick little kind of a recap of what's going on in their life in the Connect Room right after this service. And so we'll have some lunch for you. So if you can stick around, whether you know them or you're good friends with them, they would love to kind of share more about what's going on in their ministry as they get ready to head to the Philippines. So that's happening right after this service. Uh, they're probably out in the atrium. I don't see them in the, this, the, the 11 o'clock. They were in the nine, so they didn't have to be in the 11. There wasn't anything against them. So, or, or maybe they are in here. My wife is pointing, so maybe she's not. Okay, she's just pointing. Okay, whatever. It doesn't really matter. All right, so I know we're not communicating well. Uh, all right, so good. Uh, awesome. So that's after the service. So hey, we're going to... Um, be reading verses one through 21. And, and I know that's kind of a long passage of scripture and normally we stand to read the God word. We're gonna have you stand here in just a minute. But if you aren't able to do that, that's cool. You can stay seated. I don't want you passing out halfway through it. Uh, and on the screen though, we're only gonna have 12 through 21. I kind of threw a, a curveball here this morning, made it a little audible. And I wanna read verses one through 21. I, I think it's in your bulletin. So you can follow along, and then if you want to jump to the screen on verse 12, you can do that, all right? So hopefully that won't be too confusing. All right, let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. Starting in verse 1 and reading down to verse 21. So some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. 
So this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see um, the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made all the brothers very glad. Now, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. And this is talking about their first missionary journey that we talked about last week. Verse five, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Verse six, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question and after much discussion. And so that's, that's a very kind way of putting this, all right? It's not that the NIV or any translation is wrong here, but the, the kind of the literal mindset here is there was a lot of heated debate over this. There was kind of a free-for-all. So there was great argument, all right? So it's not just like everybody being kind and nice. Okay, Peter, your turn. Come up and talk. No, there's some heated debate going on here. And so, all right, moving on. So you kind of know that this is not all picture perfect, all right? Not very hallmarky or Disney feeling, all right? Peter got up and addressed them. That's what he said. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among them, among the Gentiles through them. And when they had finished, James, who is the brother of Jesus, all right, you know, okay, spoke up, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles, a people for himself. And the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written in Amos, says this, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat uh, meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, let's pray together. Father, um, Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to kind of get what's really going on here because we get lost sort of in the historical context. So Lord, help us to understand what is happening here. Like historically, what is going on here? Luke is recording this for a reason. This really happened. And then God, help it to shed light into our lives here in 2017. Lord, we love you. We need your spirit's help. So please come and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
So I think the best way for us to, um, to kind of dive into this chapter here, which is a very pivotal chapter in the early church, and, and you'll see this later, but also I would argue it's a very pivotal chapter even for us here in 2017, especially for our church as young as we are. I mean, we're, we're just toddlers, all right? We're six years old, and this is a very fitting passage for us as a church. And so the best way for us to kind of dive into this is I want to ask a series of questions, kind of in the kind of more of a personal pronoun here, all right, that'll hopefully uh, stir up in us, not necessarily to answer quickly, but to kind of sit with it as we kind of work through this passage. So here they are. Do I have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend before I can become a Christian? Do I have to stop smoking pot before I can become a Christian? Do I have to be pro-life before I can become a Christian? Do I have to stop looking at porn before I become a Christian? Do I have to believe in God's view of sexuality and marriage before I become a Christian? Do I have to believe in young earth God created the world in six literal 24-hour periods before I can become a Christian. Do I have to become a Republican before I can become a Christian? Do I have to be baptized before I can become a Christian? Do I have to believe the Bible before I can become a Christian? And the reason why I, I start us off with these questions is because I believe that's exactly what they're dealing with in chapter 15. I've just updated it a little bit. Like we're not dealing with circumcision here, right? Like <laughs> that's no longer an issue for us. Thank God, men, amen, right? So that's not an issue here, but I do believe that the questions that I just laid out for us are an issue that's at play in this church as well as the church at large. And in essence, what we're saying is this, is belief in Jesus enough for someone to be saved? Is belief in Jesus alone enough for someone to be saved? Now, now before we give a resounding yes to that, which some of us are probably already have in our own hearts, I want us to sit with this a little bit. Because look, guys, if we're stepping in and we're responding to this mission that God is doing and getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, if we're stepping into this invitation and, and getting on board with God's mission, then please hear me. When we come together as a family, then we should expect that there's gonna be a, a, a plethora of difference of beliefs and convictions and views and values. Because in the mix of a family like this, you're going to have day one Christians coming alongside your 30 Christians. Are you following me? So then therefore, day one Christians are rolling in here. They're not going to have the same beliefs and convictions that year 30 Christian does. And unfortunately, what can happen, and this happens subtly, you got to, like, it's at play. What happens subtly is year 30 Christian has day one Christian coming in here and years 30 Christians are not the same beliefs that day one Christian has. And then all of a sudden what happens is day 30 Christian 
Or year 30 Christian goes, oh, well, you need to believe, fill in the blank before you can become a Christian. Whoa, you're still sleeping with your girlfriend? And you call yourself a Christian? This is day one. Are you following me? Like that's, that's why this passage is huge, not only for the early church, because what's at play here is not only the future of the church, but the, the very essence and the nature of what the gospel is really about. Is Jesus enough? And it's the same question that we have to battle with and deal with even now, if we're going to step into the mission of God. If we say, I'm not into the mission of God, then we're gonna be okay. Because all we're gonna have gathering around us is everybody that has the same kind of views, beliefs, and ideas, and convictions that we have. We're just gonna have a nice little Christian huddle, holy huddle here, and everybody's gonna get along, Right? But as soon as we step into the mission of God, then we're gonna have people rolling in here that are day one. Day one. And they may not believe the Bible. They may not believe in God's view of marriage and sexuality. They might be still looking at porn. They may be living with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, you follow me? So that's what's going on in this chapter. And it's, it's good for us to kind of wrestle with this and hope you're a little bit uncomfortable, all right? Because I am a little bit right now, to be honest with you. But here, here's what I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna work through chapter 15 and kind of show you how they kind of handled this issue here, all right? What did they do to kind of deal with this issue? What went on here? And then I'm landing where the chapter lands. And where the chapter lands is these two implications that James gives to the church, which are, are prominent or, or, or for us also here in 2017, all right? You follow me? There are two big things, overarching principles that he lays on this church because the rest of the chapter is them delivering this letter to the churches of the Gentiles and they're all in agreement with what James said. And so I think that applies also to us. That's where I'm going. I'm gonna land on those two little verses there, and hopefully you call them in 19 through 21, because the last verse, hopefully you got some questions popping, like, what in the world? They're obeying the law? Okay, we're going to get there. All right, so look what happens here in verse 1. So this is what's going on. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch, were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And then if we skip down a few verses, we see in verse five that the same message is being spoken by, by those that used to be Pharisees, part of the party of Pharisees that are now believers, right? They're now Christians. They've, they've put their faith and trust in Jesus and they're saying the same thing. Unless you are circumcised and obey the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, some of us in this room are going, man, gosh, I wish these Jews would get over their circumcision issues, right? It's like, come on, let's just move on. Why do they keep getting hung up with this? Guys, you've got to recognize that this belief was so embedded in them. Like from day one that they're taught that this is the physical sign that separates you and shows that you're a follower of God. Like it's, this is a big deal for someone that's a Jew. They just can't like, just, all right, be done with it. So yeah, they're, they're accepting to all these Gentiles that are coming to faith in Christ and becoming a part of this new family. But the assumption is that eventually they would also become Jews that they would adopt some of the cultural practices and beliefs that Jews have. That's the assumption here. And so, yeah, you know, here in 2017, we can say, come on, get over this. This is not a big deal, but it is for them. And the best way I can 
try to show a relationship here. And it's not a one-to-one correlation because I think what they're dealing with is a lot more uh, deeper than what these things are. So I don't know, man, this is, this is some of my church background a little bit. And some of you guys might've experienced that, but I, I remember the days when we, we transitioned from, from hymnals to screen. Dude, that is a big deal. You would thought the devil was in that, right? <laughs> I'm not joking. Like some of you laughing, you know, I'm talking about, I remember the days when, when we transitioned from pews to seats, like that was, oh, seriously? I mean, I don't, somewhere in the Bible there's something about pews, right? These, I don't know about that, right? I remember the days, guys, when we transitioned from kind of like piano and organ to this. Like I was a part of a church that you brought drum sets in there. John Renner was like the devil incarnated, right? I mean, <laughs> like that big deal. So I'm like, I know it's not a one-to-one correlation, but it is pretty close, right? Pretty close to what's going on here. Now, now hear me. The issue here is not an issue of obedience to the law. Yes, it is for these Jewish Christians, but as we work through the chapter, we realize that it's not necessarily an issue of obedience. What it really is, is an issue of what does obedience do for me? Because if you, if you caught this, as we get to James's little principles that he gives to us in verse 20 and 21, I think, he's telling the Gentiles to obey a certain portion of the ceremonial law, right? And later on, we learn that Paul actually has Timothy circumcised as an adult. Poor guy, right? But he does, so... So you're going, all right, so what's the issue here? The issue is not obedience to the law. The issue is what does obedience do for me? Does obedience secure something for me or does obedience show something about me? Are you following me, feeling the difference there? Does obedience secure something for me or does obedience show something about me, or another way of putting this that's going on in this chapter, has Jesus done everything necessary for my salvation? Or are we saved partly through the grace of Jesus and partly through our own good works and religious performance? Which is always at play, right? So that's what they do. They, they, they gather a a kind of a business meeting. I mean, if you want to call it that or a members meeting or whatever you want to call it, that's what they're doing. They, they, they gather the church together in Jerusalem. So you got apostles there. So the, the 12 that were with Jesus and saw him raised from the dead. You got elders of the churches in Jerusalem there. And then you got just church members like us that are there also. And they're having an enormously heated debate. And in the midst of this debate on this issue, there are three kind of talks that happen. So Peter gives a talk, all right? Paul and Barnabas give a mini talk, all right? Because theirs is pretty short. Luke doesn't record all he said. And then James kind of lands the plane. And so if you look here, this is kind of how they finally get to a resolution through all these little talks, all right? So the first one is Peter's talk. And Peter's main point is simply this, that the door of salvation to the Gentiles was open, not because of me, but because God initiated it. And so he's referring back to when God sent him a dream to go visit Cornelius. 
So this wasn't Paul, Peter's idea. This was God's idea. God was the one that was initiating that the gospel go to the Gentiles. And when he goes over to the Cornelius, what does Peter like witness? He witnesses that Holy Spirit come upon them the very same way that the Holy Spirit came upon the Jews in Acts chapter two. There was no discriminating. It wasn't like, I'm gonna withhold this until you get circumcised. I'm gonna withhold this until I see you kind of obeying the, the law. I'm gonna withhold this until you become a Jew. No, as soon as they received Jesus, the Holy Spirit came upon them. God is the one that is initiating this work to the Gentiles. That's what Peter's after here. And then he kind of lands the bomb, so to speak. And I love it that he says in verse 10, look what he says here. I love this. It's kind of like the, you know, I don't know what it's like. I'm trying to think up here and I can't think. But moving on, this is a beautiful part of his little talk. Verse 10, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. He's like saying, come on, guys. Like, seriously? There's like 613 laws. And I don't know about you guys, but I was born a Jew. And I'm getting them all mixed up. I don't know if I can eat turkey bacon or not eat turkey bacon, Right? I don't know if I'm allowed to, like, is a walk okay? How fast should I walk on the Sabbath? Like, like he's going, come on. Like, I'm born a Jew and I can't even keep the law straight. And now we're wanting to put this big burden on the Gentiles? Like, for real? And it's almost like he's saying this too. It's like, okay, look, what have we given our lives to? What birthed this, this excitement and joy, what exploded in our hearts? Was it the message of, hey, trust Jesus and do all these things? Hey, trust Jesus, and here's the 600 laws, boom, that you still gotta obey. Did, did that burst excitement in us? No. It was when we understood that Jesus had done it all, that when he cried out on the cross, it is finished, it is finished. That's the message that blew up our hearts and that's why we're giving our lives to it. And that's what he says here in verse 11. I love this. No, this is what we believe. This is what we believe. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. It is by the grace of God that any of us get in, not by obeying a law, not by your religious performance. It's by the grace this undeserved mercy that God has lavished, has poured out on us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we get in. Grace is this, this wonderful announcement from God. There is nothing you have to do. Get that in you, right? Year 30 Christian, day one Christian, not a Christian. There's nothing you have to do. It's been done for you. That's why it's good news, amen? Grace is God's one-way love to you. His one-way love to you. Grace is God working his way down to us so that you, we, I, you and I, whatever, don't have to work our way up to him. Like, it's not good news for you to get a list. It's not good news for you to go, hey, this is, this is what you got to do to make yourself whole. 
It's good news to say someone's already done it, just receiving. That's good news. Grace is, and this is probably one of my favorite ones here, grace is the face love wears when it meets imperfection. Isn't that beautiful? Grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. And Paul, Peter here is just saying, look, the reason why the Gentiles are included into the family of God is not by obeying the law, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's it. And it's like this message, you see it in verse 12, brought kind of a calming effect on the people. And then Paul and Bartimaeus stands up. They share briefly about how God's confirming their work among the Gentiles by the signs and wonders that they are doing. And then after that, James gets up and he looks at a prophet here, Amos, and basically said, like, this is, been the case since the beginning. Not only does the prophet Amos show us this, but all the prophets also show us this, that from the beginning, this is God's plan to include the Gentiles in as the family of God as Gentiles, not Jews. So, so follow what's going on here. So Peter says, hey, they are included because of the grace of God, God initiated. They don't have to obey the law. Par and Barnabas say, look, we know that this is part of God's plan because God is confirming it through signs and wonders. James comes along and that's the same testimony we see in the scriptures. We see in the Old Testament. So, so this is a work of God. This is not our work. We need to submit to it. And so after that, he gives these th two big principles. Therefore, because Gentiles are included in. They don't need to be circumcised or obey the law. They're in because of the work of Jesus. Therefore, here are two guiding principles that we need to hear. The first one is found in verse 19. It says this. It's my judgment, therefore, as a result of all we talked about here, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So principle number one, we will not make it difficult for someone to turn to God. So if, if the only requirement is for us to feel our need of Jesus and to receive this gift, then we are going to work hard to make sure there's not something that we do or say that plops a massive barrier in between someone turning to God. And I know some of you got a little argument, you know, like didn't the Holy Spirit, but you know, bust through that. Well, yes, I, I hear you there, but we have a responsibility to make sure we're not making it difficult for someone to turn to God. Now you're going to go like, well, how? How do, how do we do this? How do we make it difficult for someone to turn to God? What I would say anytime we say or think, right? Because what we think loses out. You follow me? Not anytime we say or think, unless fill in the blank, you can't become a Christian. Unless you stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you can't become a Christian. Unless you stop smoking pot, you can't become a Christian. Unless you're pro-life, you can't become a Christian. Unless you're a Republican, you can't become a Christian. Unless you're a Democrat, you can't become a Christian. Unless you're a libertarian, go on and on, right? Unless you stop looking at porn, you can't become a Christian. Unless you obey or, or abide by God's understanding of sexuality and marriage, you can't become a Christian. 
any time that we add that to it, unless fill in the blank, then we're doing exactly what's going on here in chapter 15. We are making a gospel of our own, not submitting to the gospel that has been revealed by God. We are preaching a false gospel because it is only in and through the finished work of Jesus, period, that anyone gets in. It's not believe in Jesus and kind of clean yourself up. Now look, some of us in here may be giving a little pushback. And I like, I've been a Christian for almost 40 years. And I would argue that it's us that have been Christians the longest that have a tendency to place these little burdens on those who are becoming Christians. Look, guys, like, and maybe you're sick and tired of me saying this, and if you are, so be it. But here's the deal. This is, this is like, like, this principle is why we care so much about guests that roll in here. Like, I do not want to ignore a guest that comes in our doors every single Sunday, because when we ignore them, we've created a barrier. We've made it difficult for them to really believe what we sing and what we say from here. That's why every single Sunday I say, hey, my name's Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here. Do I do that because I think you're gonna forget my name? Right? It's like, oh, I'm so glad he did that. I always forget his name. I've been here for five years. What is his name again? It's kind of a weird one. What is it? No, I don't do that. I do that because I expect for there to be brand new people that come through our door. And if you would come to my house unaware, without me knowing, I didn't know who you were, the very first thing I'm gonna do is say, hey, my name is Lyle, right? That's why, that's why we do the passing of the peace. Yes, it's a symbol for us to be reminded that through Jesus, we have peace with God and peace with one another. But we also do that because those that are regular attenders here don't want to create a barrier for someone that's a guest by us ignoring them. It's not just for us to go around and talk to people we know. Oh, good to see you again. No, we go after those that are sort of outsiders, just like Jesus would do. Our posture is toward those people that are guests and feel really weird and awkward here. Why? Because we don't want to make it difficult for someone that might be turning to God. We don't want to create a barrier. That's why we care about kids' ministry. That's why we want to make sure they're well-staffed back there. That's why we care about signage. I know most of you in this room don't think about signage at all, but I do. Like when you walk in this room for the very first time, man, you got to know where the restrooms are. We don't have outhouses in the back. Like we, we have restrooms in our building. And it's not supposed to be a guessing game for a guest. Like, no, you're supposed to show them where they're supposed to go. They need to know where we to gather. Like if, if someone's brand new, that has never come to church in their entire life. Like we're creating a barrier for somebody. That's why we care about the language that we use here. Like I wanna make sure that we use language that's, that's not like marginalizing someone, right? That's putting them out. So, oh, you should know where Job is. Come on, did you call it Job? You're such a moron, right? <laughs> I've been to churches where I felt bad because I didn't know where a book was, book of the Bible was. Like, come on, seriously, help me out here. If you're a group leader here, if you're part of a group, like, like I would argue this needs to be embedded in you to where you think through a filter of like, okay, am I saying things or doing something that is becoming a barrier 
blocking someone from turning to God. I need to have in mind that I have maybe a day one Christian here, or maybe I have someone that's absolutely not a Christian here. Look, if, if we do what Tim Keller said, look, if we speak like our neighbor is there, then maybe our neighbor will show up. Look, are, we, are you, am I, making it difficult for someone to turn to God? When I think about, and this, maybe this is just my little pet peeve, okay? So you can confront me later. But, and I think about some bumper stickers that I've seen. Like, I don't know. I get a little righteous anger about it, or maybe it's not, maybe it's sinful anger. You know, there you go. Be honest, not righteous anger. I'm trying to make myself look better than what I really am, right? But when I see like little, the fish symbol eating the Darwin symbol, I'm, like, what's going on there? I'm serious. Like, what? Is that just like a revenge fantasy? Is it? I mean, is, is that helpful? Is that, is that not creating a barrier? Is that not making it difficult? I mean, you're being offended. You're offending someone on an issue that, okay, yes, there's some, they're, they're important. Yes, I'm not saying that sleeping with your girlfriend, smoking pot, Republican, Democrat, abortion, all that. Those are very important issues. Yes. And there will be time to talk and work through those and talk about them and disciple all that. Yes. But I'm just trying to say, look, we don't need to make those a barrier to keep someone from turning to God. Let's talk about Jesus. Let the gospel be what offends someone. Not your little fish sticker eating Darwin. Like, that's not going to open conversations. It's going to shut them down. All the things that we love to boycott and tell everybody what we're boycotting. I mean, it, it can go on and on. It should be a, a, a means by which you filter what you put on social media. It really should, guys. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the filter that needs to be in your, in your mind. How is what I'm saying on this issue? How is what I'm saying on this? Is it going to be a barrier? Is it going to cause someone to be difficult? to come to Jesus because of what I said. Look, I'm not, like I know some of you are going, well, I'm just stating my issues. You're telling me just to be quiet and not saying, no, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm just saying, look, let's kind of make this filter a little higher. Let's just say, okay, like I'm going to put this on the forefront. It's always going to be at play. Is what I'm saying or doing making it difficult for someone to turn to God? That's why we're here, right? I mean, that's why we're here. If you're engaged in the mission of God, then this is gonna be on your mind. If you're cool with your holy huddle, then this won't because you'll just guard your turf and lob your bombs over to everybody else and say, I don't give a rip what happens to you. Let, let the collateral damage just happen. And I'm going, no, no, God wants more from us. He's got people in this world that need Jesus. And he's empowered you as a carrier of the name of Jesus to go do that. And James is going, look, look, we're just not going to make it difficult for people. So if you're not a Christian here, I hope you, I hope you hear this. Number one, you don't have to clean yourself up. Just go to Jesus. He'll work on that in his timing. He will. And we want to be a church where there's, there's space for your sin. Not a church where we expect you to hide that. 
because that's too messy. If you're not a Christian here, I, now I've been here six years, and so I, I know I've probably said things, done something that's put a barrier. Maybe some of our church members have said something, done something to put a barrier and hard for you to turn to God. And I just, as, as the pastor here, as one of the pastors here and, and behalf of all the church, I just, just want to say sorry. I'm sorry. And we repent of that. And if you could do us the favor by telling us how we've done that, man, that would be really helpful because I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want us to make it difficult for someone to come to God. So, that's the first principle that James laid out, and I won't spend as much time on the second one. I'll be quick here. So we're not gonna make it difficult. The second one, and I don't know if this works, but it, it keeps with the Ds, all right? So I think you'll understand what I'm trying to say. So if the first one is we're not gonna make it difficult, the second one is we're not going to be dismissive. And dismissive, if you look it up, dictionary, which I did, <laughs> says this. It's when we treat others as unworthy of serious consideration. And so all of us have experienced someone dismissing us, all right? And so let me kind of show you where I get this in James. This is the second principle he gives to us. Verse 20, look what he says. Instead, we should write to them, talking about the Gentiles, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And if you're reading with me, you should go, what? Right? <laughs> okay, I just thought we made the case that it's only through Jesus someone gets in the family, and now all of a sudden James is telling them to obey ceremonial law because that's what all this is. So like abstaining from meat offered to idols, which was a common practice in that time, abstaining from strangled meat, bloody meat, and sexual immorality. Now, there's a lot of debate on what's going on there. I lean more toward uh, what they're talking about here is out of Leviticus 18, where they're asking them to not marry those that are closely related to them. That's what's going on in Leviticus 18. The reason why I say that, it kind of stays within the context of ceremonial law, all right? So, so that's, which in that time, and still in our time, some parts of Kentucky, all right? That was kind of common practice. And I can say that because I'm from Kentucky, all right? And so, so here's, here's what James is after. These four practices that he's asking them to abstain from are very offensive and bothersome to the Jews. Very offensive and difficult and bothersome for the Jews. And so what James is saying here, we're not just asking the Jews to accommodate the Gentiles. We're also asking to, the Gentiles to accommodate the Jews so that they can be a family. And so if, if we're gonna have a meal together and share life together and me eating a rare steak is gonna offend you as my brother and sister, then this is what James is saying. Limit your freedom in order to love your neighbor. Don't be dismissive. Don't go, well, get over it. I'm gonna disregard you, move you to the side. If you can't get over it, I'm gonna find all my meat-loving buddies and we're just gonna hang out, right? And how is that any different than what we see in the world? 
So James is going, look, look, not only are we not going to create a barrier that's going to make it difficult for a Gentile to come to God, we're also not going to create a barrier that's going to make it difficult for Gentiles and Jews to have a family, to to gather together and deepen their relationships. So we're going to ask the Gentiles, do you know what? These are very offensive to Jews. Limit your freedom. It doesn't change your standing with God. You're just limiting your freedom because you love your neighbor. And that's exactly what Paul is getting after in Galatians chapter five, when he says this, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So translation, look, look, the gospel empowers us to be free, but it also empowers us to have the freedom to limit my freedom in order for me to love my neighbor. I know there's a lot of frees and freedoms in there, but I think you know what I'm talking about, right? He's saying, look, don't take your freedom and just indulge you. No, use your freedom as a means by which you can still kind of love your neighbor possibly by limiting your freedom. Paul's going, Peter's going, like, look, look, James is going, look, this is, this is kind of a call to love one another. So if we're gonna, if they're gonna know me, by the love that they see in the community, then guess what? That love has to be sacrificial. And when they see this sacrificial love that's going on in this community, oh my, that's a loud message to the outside world that Jesus is for real because we have people that are not dismissive, but they're deferring. Yeah, I've got freedom to eat some rare meat, hallelujah. Yeah, I've got freedom to have a beer, drink some bourbon smoke a cigar, smoke a pipe, all the freedom in the world, amen? But if you have a brother or sister that's offended by that, then what James is saying, limit your freedom. Limit your freedom so that you can deepen your love for one another and the world can see the sacrifice that's going on in this community and go, wow, what in the world's going on? Because usually when that happens, all the smoking buddies get together, right? In the smoking area, we had one in Bolt Central High School, smoking area, right? Like, I don't know how that worked out with education, but it did, right? Or all my bourbon buddies. Like, that's easy. That's what everybody else does. And Jesus said, I'm trying to create something different. I'm trying to create something that's, that's attractive to a lost world, to where they see sacrificial love on display. So we're not, we're not gonna make it difficult, right? For outsiders to turn to the Lord and we're not gonna dismiss one another. Instead, we're gonna defer. We're gonna limit our freedom so that we can be a family. So I went back and forth on whether I should end with this. And um, I got encouragement from the nine to go ahead and do it. So there's no one else left after the 11. So I guess if it didn't, <laughs> didn't go well, it's like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. But I'm kind of following the instructions of the nine. So like, I, you know, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and I'm like, I'm very, very thankful uh, for my upbringing, for the church that God put me in. Like, I'm very thankful. I'm not like bitter about this at all, but I, it, it did have a lot of, uh, fundamentalism that's just laced all through it. And like when you're growing up in it, you don't know that. Like you don't know, you know, and I'm not trying to even dis, you know, be disrespectful to my parents. They're just doing the best they could. 
But, you know, I grew up in, in a home where was, there was no alcohol in the home, none whatsoever. And it was viewed as a sin to drink alcohol. Like, you know, love my mom. But, man, I remember when I was a teenager and I got a deck of cards. And those got burnt one day. It's like... Like, you can burn trash in Lebanon Junction in those big old barrels. The next thing I know, the next day, my deck of cards are in the trash. I'm going, Mom, seriously? I don't, I'm not playing poker and gambling. I'm just playing rummy and, you know, solitaire. And, like, really? I couldn't even keep a lighter for crying out loud. She'd find a lighter and she'd hide it. It's like, Mom, I'm not smoking weed or something. I just like a lighter. I'm a boy. Like, I just, <laughs> flames are fun. Right? I was like, come on. But, I mean, it was embedded in her, right? And so it got to me. And I went to, you know, I started a church when after I graduated college and went to church in Ohio. And, you know, I didn't know what I was stepping into. It's a small church. It was Southern Baptist, so to speak. But man, when I rolled in there, ladies only wore pants. Well, the men were, I mean, I'm sorry, ladies wore dresses, obviously. Okay, that way kind of kind of weird. <laughs> men wore pants, ladies wore dresses, all right? So, yeah, thank you for laughing with me, but... The only music that you're allowed to play was from the piano. You weren't allowed to have any kind of CD music at that time at all. And, and I'm coming in trying to lead a student ministry and thank God I didn't get fired. I mean, there was a lot of crazy stuff that I yeah, did there. So thank God they were very kind to me and didn't fire me, all right? And so like all of this is kind of embedded in me, especially the issue with alcohol. And so, you know, over the last 15, 20 years, uh, you know, Hopefully, the Lord's been working on me more than just one area, but the Lord has brought me to a place where, yeah, like, there's nothing sinful about drinking. There's not. None whatsoever. Like, we got full freedom to, to, to drink a beer, a glass of wine, whatever you want to call it, bourbon mixture or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, there is full freedom to do that. And even the previous church that I was at, like, that was taught but the confusing thing was it wasn't necessarily practiced. And so it always kind of left you like, okay, is it right? Is it not right? Like you have in your bylaws that deacons and pastors should never drink, but then you talk about them being freedom to do that. And then I step into this church where there is not only taught gospel freedom in this area, but it's, it's practiced. And like, Full disclosure, like that was really hard. Because even to today, like I can't drink. Like my conscience, whether right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It's the conscience that God gave me through my family of origin, my upbringing. And sometimes when you violate your conscience, I don't know how healthy that is. And so even to this day, like, yeah, I, like I cannot drink, all right? It doesn't mean that I don't ever, yeah, yeah go on. But I think you know what I'm talking about, my like I can give nothing. Conscience here is I can't. And so here I'm coming into a community, right? Where not only is it like rightly spoken and to some extent rightly practiced. And man, this was hard. Because what I could have done, and maybe, you know, in full confession, there's probably times I did do this internally is, you know, I can dismiss them and say, well, you know, you just get yourself a little older, get in your 40s, right? You get teenagers. Yeah, you won't have that same view about alcohol. And the other way could have been done toward me that say, oh yeah, come on, <laughs> come on, Lyle, grow up. 
you know, get over your fundamental background. Come on, you know, overly sensitive, conscious, loyal. Goodness gracious, have some fun. Drink a beer for crying out loud, right? But thank God, look, look guys, thank God that did not happen. There were honest conversations. There were honest conversations of even times when I felt insecure because I'm the only one at the table that's not drinking. There were honest conversations of how they want to make sure that, that they're deferring to some extent toward my desires, what I have a conviction about or where my conscience is. You follow me? Like, like not, not that it was perfect, but man, it was a beautiful kind of element here that I experienced of what James is after. And that's why, like, that's why I make a, an enormous argument that the church is necessary, not optional, necessary for your formation. Why? Because it forces you to sacrificially love others. Because it puts you in these kind of situations to where you have other people that have other convictions that can defend those biblically and other ones, oh, okay. But then you've got to learn how to love one another and exist within this family. And that's what I want for us because I think that's enormously attractive to a lost world. So let me try to translate that real, like I want people in this room that are teetotalers. I do. I want people in this room who feel gospel freedom to have a beer. I want people in this room who said, I'll never smoke a cigar in my entire life because it's unhealthy. And I want people in this room that actually have tobacco shops that they've opened, right? I want people in this room who are Democrats. I want people in this room who are Republicans. I want people, listen to me, who are in this room who are pro-life and who are pro-choice. Because that's what I want. And it's not because I want it. That's what God wants. And that's why I said a few weeks ago that whenever we step into the mission, God really step in. Like it's not gonna get all nice and tidy here. It's gonna get messy and you might feel a little uncomfortable and you will have a choice because there's plenty of churches all around here that you can find your issue and get around your group, right? Ah, now I feel good. (laughs) Well, I think you're missing out on a huge part of your formation that Jesus wants you to do by staying put and learning how to sacrificially love someone that has a different view than you and not put yourself in the same camp with everybody else. That doesn't attract a lost world to Jesus. That's kind of repulsive. So we're not gonna make it difficult for someone to turn to God. And we're, as Christians, gonna heighten our filter. And we are not gonna be dismissive. But we're gonna abide by the spirit of God, this call to have sacrificial love for one another. And hopefully by what the world sees happening in here, we'll put a big spotlight on Jesus. Let's pray.